our message today connected to our spiritual source and ourselves. Wellspring's core value of spiritual practice. So, when Ken's away, what we like to do is focus on the basics, our Wellspring's core values. Okay, so I have a slide here. Supporting everyday spiritual practice, excellent. Now, these were not given to us by anybody. These were not handed down from on high from the UUA, Unitarian Universalist Association. These were not given to us from the Jason Priestley District. I always say, what is it, Joseph Priestley? Right, okay, it's not 90210 either, did not give these to us, okay? <laughs> I get it wrong every time. And then I think that I have it right, so then I do it wrong anyways. What's important to know about these is that people in this room spent, the, the, what we call the planters, the founding team, spent a long time coming up with, why have a church? What do we do? Well, we call it church, we call it congregation, we don't worry about words. Um, and when the planters were meeting daily, uh, weekly on Mondays for seven months, one of the things that we did together was try different things, different ways of accessing spiritual wisdom, different ways of really walking the walk before we talk the talk. And we discovered among ourselves that actually having a daily spiritual practice really mattered to us. It really brought home um, that church is not, you know, Sundays aren't, it's not just about Sundays. It's about every day, about living our life um, and finding what is wonderful and connected about everyday life. So we decided that we wanted to name this as one of our values as a congregation, that we are going to encourage all of us to have a daily spiritual practice. That's kind of radical. That's kind of out there. That's really risky because we're saying to you, we want you as a member, as a participant, as if this is your spiritual home, to find a spiritual practice, not the spiritual practice, not just one that works for you. So we can put this on paper and leave it in the back table and it could live there. But what we want to do today is talk about have some of our members share with you their ways that they have found that have brought meaning into their lives. And this is, you know, for people who don't speak publicly, this is a little bit of a scary thing. So I really, really um, respect the charge in them, Jim's teaching, um, in sharing it with you. So right now I'm going to have I'm going to have Robin Evans come up first, and then Ron and Regina Notar, and then Jim Riley, and they're going to spend less than 10 minutes each telling you about how daily spiritual practice has worked in their lives. So come on up, Robin. Many of you know from just conversation, perhaps from the springboard offerings that I've had, um, I'm a yogi. Yoga is my spiritual practice. And um, yoga is very popular, especially now in the Western world. You can't find a fitness center that doesn't offer a yoga class. And what is that? It's an asana class. Yoga is an ancient philosophy, 5,000 years old plus, or given, taken some. And it's a, a philosophy, a, a way of life. And within that are postures and poses and the physical aspect. What those physical aspects of yoga is, is really just the interpretation of the whole philosophy in the body. The word yoga means to yoke together. For me, it means to unite mind, body, and source of spirit. I started yoga about 13 years ago. I stumbled into a yoga class, and at the time I was a cyclist and a runner, and I was looking for something to stretch me, to work out some of the tension or some of the tightness that I had in my body. 
So for me, in the beginning, as many people, the practice, the gateway in, was all about the physical. And so I spent a few years practicing power yoga in a room with 110 degrees, dripping sweat, and working on those poses, the posture, making sure that I was moving my hips a certain way. And the magic of the practice started to happen. First of all, it was the physical thing. I didn't feel the tightness, or I didn't feel the tension in my body when I would do my regular exercise of cycling and running. And then I started to marvel as my body had never responded to anything like this. It, it was starting to be sculpted. And I was discovering places in my body that I didn't know existed, muscles I didn't know I had, and strength. I also realized that when I was in places of stress in life, whether it be emotionally or spiritual stress or just you know, in Target and I have to do a price check and it's holiday season and, you know, those kind of stresses. Or climbing a, a, a hill in Chester County on my bike, that my ability to be in discomfort was expanded. That I could literally just breathe through it, one breath at a time. And my container and capacity for discomfort expanded. I was less reactive to the stress or tension that was being put into me, externally or internally. Um, the A-plus personality that I am, though, I had to, you know, wow, this is really amazing. So I would run around, and I would sign up for workshops, and I would take intensives, and I, I literally traveled around the world studying with the who's who's of yoga in the yoga world. And uh, I got certified in three different styles or traditions to teach yoga. and. Each of those master teachers had a little nugget for me. And the nugget was wonderful, it was brilliant. But the awareness had to come from within, as most spiritual practices do. And the first one was when I was on my yoga mat, I started to realize that who I was in the world that day, if I was compassionate and tender, that's who I was on the mat that day. If I was agitated and I was ego-driven and I was sticking to my agenda and I had to get somewhere fast, I would steal that next pose. I would probably hurt myself in the process. And I realized that my yoga mat was a mirror for who I was internally. And all of the certifications and all those studies that I had done wasn't going to really mean anything until I took all of this ancient 5,000-year-old philosophy, and I incorporated it into my very modern, everyday Chester County life. One breath at a time, one practice at a time. Being a yoga teacher for me really means that I'm just a more present student. I, I get to be with people and share this gift that has meant so much to me, that has made my life it hasn't changed me, you know, I can't, I'm sure it has, but it's more like it's enriched me. It's made my life technicolor. I often say it's like, I, after practice, I go in and I take my glasses off and you clean them off and you put them on and life is a little bit more crisp. It's a little bit more vivid. I feel more connected to not just me, but to all. As a teacher, I have witnessed and been graced with the invitation into people's space. And I have seen them struggle. I have seen them cry. I have seen the light in their eye light up and the joy in their face happen when they breathe that next breath. And liberation literally comes through their body. And they feel a source of freedom. 
I've had the rock star teaching moments where I was down in New Orleans and taught in the Superdome um, for Eve Ensler's V-Day. And I had a class of women that were survivors. They were in the Superdome during Katrina. And they came back into that space for healing. They closed their eyes with me, and I saw them exhale. And perhaps it was the first time that they could really exhale for years. I saw another woman in a class that I was teaching, after losing 100 pounds, uplift and balance herself on triceps in crow pose. Her face, it was a, a lifelong struggle. In that very moment, she was connected to something that was more than just an exercise pose. And since my yoga practice and my teaching is very real and I've incorporated into my life, I have laughed in class, oh, wholeheartedly. Many of you have been in my classes. We laugh and we cry. I've been in a class where a woman came intoxicated in downward-facing dog. I kept the students while she, you know, tried to pose intoxicated and fell on her face and bloodied her nose. <laughs> I've even vomited while teaching yoga. <laughs> it's about as real and visceral as it gets. For spiritual practice. It's not something that I do. It's something that is me. Conversation with me, if you probably go any more than 10 minutes, it's all about the metaphor. Every pose has a metaphor, hitting the edge, breathing into it, expanding your container. All of those things are metaphors for the asana, but they link back to the ancient practice and philosophy of the yamas and the niyamas. My ability to be with the students has made me grow as a human, and capacity in my container has expanded. And I am able to just simply be with other humans in community. Um, recently, in the last year, I, I was taken ill, Lyme disease, Chester County's you know, flag of, of disease. And the Lyme disease affected me, and I wasn't able to pray the way I normally pray because my prayers are body prayers, their movement and their breath. And so I wasn't able to pray. So at first I felt abandoned, like, I can't do the yoga. But it was all there in front of me, you know, 13 years of practice. So I went back to the yamas, the niyamas, the yoga's Ten Commandments, the restraints and observances. And through holding those, Ishwar Pratyahana, surrender to what is. Those are the things, matched with a little bit of juicy breathing techniques, got me through the darkest moments when my body wasn't able to pray in a way that it was used to. In talking with Ken, he said, well, you need to share this breathing and this body prayer with the congregation. And once again, my spiritual practice was able to connect me with spirit in community. In leading the springboards, the opportunity to move and breathe and pray and celebrate our bodies for just being alive, it's unbelievable that this community has offered me the opportunity to share this spiritual practice with those that we come together on Sunday. But in our small groups, we get to really celebrate and worship together in an authentic way. Um, that's about it, because it's fantastic. So, I'd like it if you could. Close your eyes. Breathe in, take a deep breath in, and audibly let go of something. Bring your hands to the heart center in a prayer position. 
Take the next breath in and consciously lift your heart and add it to your prayer. Let the next exhale, let your shoulders drop back and down. And feel that connection. Feel the beat, the prana, the energy within. Ken often talks about something called namaste. Namaste is an ancient Sanskrit greeting, which is the language that yoga is written in. The divine in me salutes the divine in each and every one of you. And I believe that we are of one. And for me, my practice brings me back to namaste every day. Namaste. Before we start, I just want to say, Robin, that was fantastic. You're a hard act to follow. God, that was wonderful. That was great. Okay. Okay. Uh, good morning, all. Thanks for being here. Uh, Regina and I are going to talk about uh, mindfulness meditation practice. I would joint mindfulness meditation practice, okay? First, I'll start off with a little history of what I did, we did, okay? Basically, back in 2003, summer of 2003, I went to the Mainline Unitarian Church and uh, I watched, I listened to a presentation by the Clear Light group down there. Uh, Clear Light is a meditation group in Mainline, and they teach, they give classes, and do all kinds of good stuff. And uh, I heard a man named Scott McBride make a presentation on mindfulness, okay? And I spoke to him afterwards. And I told him my situation. He says, well, you know, maybe you ought to consider the uh, uh, stress management program given by the University of Pennsylvania. And as a matter of fact, Scott and Dr. Michael McBain our co-leaders of the stress management program at Penn. So I had some stress issues at the time. Uh, one, you know, genetically, my, both my parents are inclined to high anxiety, high anxiety, and I'm the apple that did not fall far from the tree. So, <clears throat> yes, I had some too. And then also at that time I was laid off from a job, and I don't know if you folks have ever had that, but getting laid off is stressful, definitely stressful. So I said, okay, let me, let me take this, this course and see what it's all about. <clears throat> so in fall of 2003, I took the uh, stress management course, and as it turns out, the fundal, fundamental method of managing stress that they teach is mindfulness meditation. Wow. At, at that time, I had no idea that I was being introduced to a spiritual practice, but obviously I was. Okay, so for the next, next several months, uh, I was practicing sitting meditation, fundamental technique, 40 minutes per day, five to six days per week, you know, for, like I said, for a couple of months. And it seemed to me that, you know, things were going along great and I was making uh, progress at managing stress and other things that come with the practice. And, but then it's difficult to evaluate yourself, all right? You just can't do it really well. But then I had a validation experience, which was unique. One night at the dinner table, okay, dinner was completed. I'm sitting there, Regina's at that end, I'm at this end, and Regina looked at me spontaneously, unsolicited, said, What'd you say to me? There's something different about you. <laughs> Miracles <laughs> do happen. Gentlemen, if, uh, I mean, I was married 30-some years at the time. That was a unique experience for me, for my wife, let me tell you. Okay? You know where I'm coming from now, right? All right. So, anyway, I said, this stuff is working, okay? So, and just parenthetical here, there, there's, uh, for those who are so inclined there's a substantial body of scientifically based studies that document the changes that occur to the brain when you're doing this work. 
One that I'm familiar with is uh, Dr. Herbert Benson. He, uh, something, he has issued a series of books called The Relaxation Response, and Regina's going to comment on another investigator. Now, after my personal experience, seeing the value of it, I said, Regina, come on, why don't you join me? Let's, let's have a joint practice together. So that developed some time later. Regina? As I've learned um, for me over the time that I've done this meditation, meditation opens my heart. And for any of you out there that have been wounded in the past, it may be difficult to want to meditate knowing you're going down a path of being more vulnerable. However, maybe that path is living more fully, as Ken reminds us each week. Meditation as a couple opens your heart to love and maybe old resentments, to kindness and maybe old cruelties, to forgiveness and maybe old unforgiving ways. It opens your heart to generosity and maybe old stinginess, to compassion and maybe old ways of isolation. A couple's meditation can foster friendship, trust, acceptance, and compassion. And who wouldn't want that? My own practice, personally, has developed and evolved over time into trying to get my focus in the beginning of the meditation on things that I'm working at that particular day, that particular week, or that particular month. For example, I will sit there when my meditation, when, when we're sitting together, with an awareness of him, uh, usually to my left. And I'll tell you why that is in a few minutes. Um, but I will just do a little bit of my own thinking and my own feeling. And I will breathe in love, and I'll breathe out whatever the opposite is, whether it's hate or resentment. Or, and it's not that I hate or resent people all day. It's just that these things happen in life. Um, so, you know, it tries to bring to the front of my mind things that I want to incorporate every single day of my life. I will breathe in generosity, which reminds me to be more generous of spirit, more generous to people around me, especially my family and community. To forgive, breathe in forgiveness, breathe out the unforgiving spirit. Breathe in compassion, which I would really love to have more of, more often. Um, to me, the opposite of compassion is isolation. When people cannot feel compassion, I feel they withdraw and they're very isolated from their family and their community. So I've, I've had to work at that. Um, there is a book called How God Changes Your Brain. And since Unitarians are a very brainy bunch, uh, there's a book by Andrew Newberg and Mike Wald Mark Waldman. And in this book, there is a chapter called Compassionate Communication. And here are some quotes. Evidence from university research has demonstrated that couples who use mindfulness-based meditation are more likely to respond empathetically toward each other. In another study, those who practiced mindfulness meditation showed improved levels of relationship happiness, relationship stress, stress coping efficacy, and overall stress. Yeah, all right. Um. Let me go back to some experiences that I had. When I first started doing the meditation stuff back in 2003, I'd been at it a couple months. And then that fall, I was out in the yard working, all right? And, you know, the fall around here is absolutely beautiful, the, the palette, the, the leaves. The, and anyways, I'm working. All of a sudden, I started to realize that every color out there 
I was seeing in a new way. It was more vivid than I've ever experienced, and I know it was connected to, to the meditation practice, that ability to perceive the world in a different way. And then ultimately, it's like Regina and I discovered that, likewise, the joint meditation allowed us to see the different colors in the relationship, that analogy. Okay. Ron and I, I wanted to give you a little history on how we got all this started. We started meditating in a springboard uh, led by Kim Simpson, if anyone knows her, in the spring of 2007 when, when Wellsprings first started. Uh, we noticed that when we sat next to each other, now this sounds a little ooh, but when we sat next to each other, our awareness was different than sitting across the room from each other. Um, and after the springboard ended, there was a gradual process of experimentation at home as the time of day to sit, how long we could sit, uh, the exercise itself, and even the location. It's tricky. Eventually, we found that to meditate in the early morning, that worked best for us. It's been and continues to be a powerful experience in the exchange of awarenesses after each session. This kind of sharing helps keep me in touch with right now. And also, I had no idea that Ron was thinking half the things he was thinking. <laughs> after 40 years of marriage, I had no idea. Um, <laughs> I wanted also to let you know that in the reading on compassionate communication, I found more information than I think had value. A spiritual practice takes people inward, where they often realize the importance of compassionate values, humanitarian ideals, qualities that are found at the heart of most religious traditions. That's it. Thanks for listening. I have a few more words. Sorry, Regina. <laughs> okay. That's okay, dear. <laughs> Just a comment again. As a result of engaging in this, this practice, for me, the perception of the world actually seems to have changed. It's almost like there's an extra dimension out there that I'm aware of now that I was never aware of before. It sounds weird, and uh, you know, being educated as an engineer, scientific method, it's even difficult for me to accept that I kind of think this way, and it's kind of like risky for me to say this out loud. But nonetheless, that's what I've kind of experienced, and I'll share that with you folks. Right? Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. And uh, I, uh, when Ken came to us to to do this stuff, I, I, he, I asked him, "Can you help define a spiritual practice?" And uh, Ken, as best I can recall what you said, it's any activity that deepens your understanding of yourself and life in general. And my, our personal experience with mindfulness appears to have done that. And as far as Wellspring goes, Ken constantly comments, and Maria said at the beginning of the presentation here, that we want a spiritual practice. It's really an active spiritual practice of your choice. It's really important to grow spiritually. So, And that helps keep me on track, too, because sometimes you get slipping and sliding around so between her and I and Ken and Will Springs, it's, it's staying on track. Now we're done. We need, a, we need a bigger stand. Um, so uh, we're running late, and I more than most know that uh, the youth spirit teachers are running out of bags and their tricks, and so I will try to go quickly. Uh, so there, I want to do a quick prayer survey. So stand up if you have 
participated in a prayer in the last year. Now, within that last year, how many of you actually led the prayer in that year? How many of you done it in the last month? In the last week? Yesterday. I am pleasantly surprised that we still have people standing. And I imagine if we would have gone to uh, another church uh, in the area, we might have more people standing. Um, and so prayer, in, at least in the Unitarian Church, faces an uphill battle. Um, mainly because most of us have come from spiritual traditions in which prayer uh, was very prominent. And there's still a bit of a... Um, association with prayer and um, the tradition that you left. And so in some respects, I think we're kind of throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater there. Um, the, the other main struggle is that uh, as Unitarians, some of us aren't really sure um, who's on the other side of the phone. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, is there someone there? And what they're actually going to do for us once they hear our prayer. You know, the, the, the white man who's, you know, going to move things around so you get your Nintendo um, <laughs> is it, it, not going, it, it, you know, most of us don't have that feeling. And so, um, so what I want to try to tell you today is um, why I found prayer to be uh, an important spiritual practice um, that, that hopefully you could incorporate some into your life. Um, so, as I said, I grew up as a, uh, in a very uh, conservative Protestant uh, faith, and prayer was, in retrospect, a very part of my life. I ended up going to a Catholic high school. We prayed before school. We prayed after school. In Spanish class, we said uh, the Our Father in Spanish. Then, had basketball practice. We said the Our Father before practice. Now, I had a Protestant coach, and he insisted that we say it the Protestant way. And so, I had Spanish, we said the Catholic way, then I had to convert that to the Protestant way. Uh, luckily, I was never very good at Spanish, so I never really got that confused. Um, but as time went on, prayer certainly took a back seat in my life, but um, it was always present, especially during tough times. Um, I did always feel somewhat comfortable saying a prayer. And, um, but... Fast forward, and you know, as Ron said, you know, Ken is. You know, if there's one thing that he insists upon, or um, is that we develop a daily spiritual practice. And uh, I just got through one of my uh, um, Lord, uh, emphasis sessions with him, and I was leading the youth spirit um, mentors, and we were trying to come up with ways that we could connect spiritually with our children. You know, how can we get them on the right path that many of us didn't get on? And um, one of the teachers said that every night she said a prayer with her daughter. And that really struck me as a, um, a wonderful spiritual practice. So one night, I, about three years ago, I sat Claire down and I said, we're going to start praying. And to my great surprise, um, she was all in for it. I mean, there was no pushback, no complaining. And we started it by kind of talking about what we did every day, during the day, and then we take turns, each of us saying a prayer, trying to incorporate the other's concerns. And um, I would say 99.9% .9 of our prayers could be summarized as, thank you, thank you, thank you, help me, help me, help me. Um, and so the thank you 
is it, it really teaches and brings home the point of gratitude. And gratitude, if there, if there is a unifying uh, principle that I think we all should have, is being thankful for things is a wonderful way to live. It, it, brings, out, it brings out that you're, that you're dependent upon others. It brings out that others are caring for you and you can care for others. And it grounds you in a way that very few uh, feelings do. The help me, help me, help me, you know, humility. We all need help in this universe. We all need to receive help as well as give it. It forces us to think about others who may be going through hard times. Um, and, you know, this particular time in my life um, has been very difficult. I have friends losing jobs. I have a friend who had a child with a severe brain, uh, you know, and they're not sure whether he, the child will ever be cognitive. Um, I have a friend whose marriage is going through a hard time. Um, my science partner, which best akin is like a business partner, someone we started together, uh, he was just diagnosed with metastatic pancreatic cancer. And, you know, the prognosis is, is not very good. And so this is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of walls falling from me right now. And this grounding of prayer really helps to keep me balanced and helps me, you know, keep the happiness in life and the joy in life. And it, it has really made going through some of these tough times um, much more manageable. And so, you know, just to, um, you know, conclude, I think what Claire has gotten out of this is, is hopefully, um, you know, to start loving generously. And, you know, that's a term that I really love. But, you know, to, to really open her heart and try to connect with those around her. Um, you know, that there's something deeper in the world than, you know, her, her next set of clothes or her, you know, the material things that pervade our thing, that there is something deeper and ultimately um, the most important thing she can get. Um, what I have gotten out of this is, you know, the praying, but the joy of praying with somebody. Um, and, you know, as Ron and Regina said, you know, if you can do your spiritual practice with somebody, there's so much joy and so much sharing and so much growth that can occur as a result of that, that um, it, it does take a special relationship to do it. But if you can find that person to do it with, it really um, keeps you on track and keeps you going. Um, and I'll conclude is that, you know, we are a part of a liberal religion. And that means that we don't subscribe to a certain way of doing things. So you can pray, you can meditate, you can do yoga. But it doesn't mean you can be a spectator. You have to find your way. You have to do something to grow spiritually. And that's hopefully what Wellsprings is really trying to equip us with, is the tools and the different ways that everybody's boats float their own way, but your boat has to float. And I encourage you to find something that really grounds you and makes you appreciate the world around you. And with that, um, I will say a prayer. And guys, my prayers are much shorter than Ken's are, so be ready to, to, <laughs> to, to, to take the stage. Um, but before then, please, please uh, join your hearts in prayer with me. God of our hearts, we give thanks for the, ble the blessing that we have here at Wellsprings. We give thanks for the support, the compassion, the tools to grow. Please help us maintain our community to keep our family safe and to use this energy to make the world a better place. Amen.